Coming up on this week's show, Gregory Ash, Layla Rain, and L.A. Witt give us some clues about romantic suspense. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 217 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello everybody, welcome back. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. For all of our U.S. listeners, we hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday. We had some fun and some adventures this past week. We ordered ourselves a brand new couch, and it came in many, many boxes, and we spent the bulk of, frankly, almost an entire day putting that damn thing together, but it it was well worth it. It was. It's a very comfy couch, and frankly, we could have built a fort, or maybe two, with the number of boxes that we had. Exactly. We also had a very pleasant Thanksgiving holiday. We stayed in. Uh, No friends, no family, just the two of us enjoying each other's company. It was a lovely, lovely day. I liked it a lot. And we also spent the afternoon putting up our Christmas decorations, uh, which is a bit of an anomaly for us. Usually by this point in the holiday season, the tree would have been up for a couple of weeks, but things, I don't know, things got out of hand in November. Uh, well, but it, the, the most important thing is, is that the Christmas lights are sparkling now. Twinkle, twinkle. And it's really <laughs> good we didn't go early this year, because if we'd have had to assemble the couch with the decorations up, it would have been not pleasant. Yeah, that would have been a mess. <laughs> So, okay, I guess it all worked out for the best. It did. And I also released some holiday stories this week, or actually re-released. I put out a story called Room Service, which is actually a retitled book that used to be Hotel Holiday Hookup that had originally come out in 2015. And I also re-released the ebook version of Rivals. The audiobook has been out during the span while the ebook has been down. And Rivals means a lot to me because this was the very first story I published 10 years ago this holiday season. So I figured out as I was doing this that I have, I'm celebrating 10 years as an author of gay romance. And that that was really cool to discover that. Congratulations on that anniversary. Thank you so much. I would also like to say congratulations on the uh, covers of these two new stories. I think they look pretty darn spiffy. I am very, very pleased with them. Uh, One of them came from James over at Go On Write. Thank you so much, James. And the other one is one that you helped me put together, putting together some stock art that we found that looked appropriate and making our own cover. So this episode is going to be a lot like what we had a couple of episodes back with the imprint genre. We are all about romantic suspense in this episode of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. And before we get to the interviews segment, I actually want to take a moment to review Layla Rain's A New Empire, which is the third and final book in the Fog City trilogy. Now, if you recall back to the first review I did uh, for Prince of Killers back in June, and that's in episode 193... I'd said I'd never run into a a romantic suspense book with the hero who was a guy on the wrong side of the law as one of the heroes. Now, since then, I've gotten a couple more of those under my belt. And I have to say, I love this twist on romantic suspense. And in particular, I love how Layla does it. 
she paid off every promise she made in Prince of Killers in A New Empire. And it was a hell of a ride. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you how I felt reading this book. It was like truly like watching the best action movie ever as everything kind of fell into place finally. The book opens immediately after the events in Kingslayer, which was book two. And this is going to be one of those reviews that's super hard because I'm going to do my best to navigate this and keeping this spoiler free. So as we open, we've got Chris and Hawes ending up separated for a bit after the battle that goes down at the pier. And if you thought things were kind of crunchy at the end after the big shootout, it only gets worse from here, folks, before Lila starts putting everything back together. As more and more gets revealed around who the manipulator is trying to pull the strings and remove Hawes from power, things get more and more tense for the Madigan clan. The revelations from Kingslayer and the people who were initially thought to be involved are nothing on what Layla manages to pull off in this book. I saw none of it coming. And as it fell into pieces, my mouth was hanging open and I might have actually squeaked a couple times in sheer shock of what I was reading. Now, of course, all of these re revelations just ramps up the tension. And Layla is such a master at building it up and then in many, many cases, blowing it up. You're going to hear from her in the interview in a few minutes how she loves TV and she loves action movies. And she adapts this into her writing, I think, better than any author I've ever read. There are two really key action sequences in this book. One goes down in a crowded nightclub with rival factions going at each other. It's two clans of bad guys and the intricate choreography that goes on here of how everybody's moving, how everybody's communicating, everything that goes down, the people that get hurt. I, I have to imagine like that she's got some like action figures and a board in front of her deciding how everybody moves. You could see it so clearly. And in this case, I kind of visualized the whole thing like a Tarantino movie, almost Kill Bill style in some ways. It was just brilliant. The other that happens is on a highway in the Bay Area. Another one of Layla's patented car chases. She loves these things. They show up so often. This one has gunfire and people throwing knives. And I can't even think of a movie to compare this scene to to explain how thrilling it was, even more so because I know exactly where in San Francisco this was and trying to envision it actually happening was just kind of mind-blowing. Back in the story, the pressures that are on the Madigans, it really tests the binds between the siblings. And this is something else impressive that Layla does with her writing is she plucks all these strings. And while you've got the siblings at odds with each other, trying to understand what's happened to their family, trying to understand how they're going to build and make the, the, the mob organization be what they want it to be. Oh my goodness. It's just, it's so stressful. And then you add this other mystery that was going on here with Hawes and Chris and how Chris's partner originally died years ago. So many things got wrapped up over this, it, this trilogy is so good, people. Everybody, need, if you're into romantic suspense, you really, really need to get this book and do it all at once. That way you don't have to deal with the, 
the big cliffhangers that come after book one and after book two. You're going to hear Layla talk a little bit about, too, about the spinoffs she's got planned for Fog City. Uh, I can't wait to read these. She's got me so hooked on the Madigans. It's kind of crazy. So, yeah, hopefully somewhere in all this, you got the idea that you need to read A New Empire and read the entire Fog City series because you will not regret it. All right, so now I'm really excited to get to the centerpiece of this episode. During GRL, I got to sit down with Layla and Gregory Ash and L.A. Witt and spend some time talking about romantic suspense, why they write it, what they like about it, their stories. It's, it's a really great conversation, and so we're going to get to that right now. So I am excited to welcome Layla Rain, Gregory Ash, and L.A. Witt. We are sitting at GRL, which is how we all got to be in the same place, and I'm so excited to have some of my favorite romantic suspense authors all gathered together to talk to us about this topic so that everybody can get an idea for who you are. If you could each introduce yourselves and uh, tell us about your latest release in this particular genre. And sure. Layla, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, I'm Layla Rain. I am the author of the Asian Sarish and Whiskey and Trouble Brewing series, aka the Whiskey Verse. And the current series I have out right now is Fog City which is a trilogy, and New Empire comes out in November, so that'll be out. Can't wait for that. Yes. Oh, that's exciting. I'm anticipatory yeah. as we're recording yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah, lots of good things. Yeah. So this will be out after that's done, and that'll be a complete trilogy, and looking forward to it. Awesome. I'm Gregory Ash, and let's see, when this comes out in December 2nd, uh, my most recent release will be the Rational Faculty, which is the first new Hazard and Somerset book in a new arc. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yay. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so they, you know, like I had a six-book arc. They got a little break, a little time to be happy. Now they get to go back to... Being tortured. Yeah, being tortured, working, you know, doing what they should do. So, yeah. Cool. I'm L.A. Witt and also Laurier Witt and Ann Gallagher and Kaiser Soze and a few other names. As we're... Recording this, Kari Z and I are working on the book five of the Bad Behavior series. It was supposed to be a four-book series. But then the narrator came along and gave one of our secondary characters some personality. Because he's awesome. (laughs) And yeah, so thank you, Michael Ferriolo. (laughs) Now Mark from the first four books is getting his own book. (laughs) And uh, as of right now, we're working on it. Probably by the time this comes out, we'll have a release date for it. But that will be protective behavior. (laughs) Fantastic. Good stuff coming all the way around. Yeah. So I think the best first question is, how did each of you get into romantic suspense as being one of the things that you write, or in some cases, the primary thing that you write? So for me, I come from TV land. And so that was always the things I gravitated toward. I was a huge X-Files fan and other series along those lines. And so, but I always wanted the the romantic thread in it, you know, all nine years. And so... (laughs) I, it just gravitated. Like, that seemed to be the most natural place, and I like to blow shit up. Yeah. So, <laughs> that happened. And I like fast cars. Yeah. So, it was a natural fit. Your fast cars that you do in San Francisco always make me nervous. Well, yeah, you can go to the hills. <laughs> like, you know exactly where I'm doing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say kind of by accident. Like, I was writing for like 10 years before I got Hazard and Somerset up and some, it, like was had some people read it and like but I was writing like epic fantasy epic fantasy epic fantasy urban fantasy epic fantasy and then I was like man I gotta try something new so I tried a mystery novel that in my mind was just a mystery novel that happened to have a 
gay character who was going to be in a relationship. And I found a nice little category on Amazon and put it in there. And I was like, holy cow, there are a lot of other people <laughs> writing what I want to write and what I want to read. And so, yeah, I kind of just stumbled into it. But, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Mine was also kind of by accident. I was writing romance, and one of my romance plot bunnies went rogue. Mm -hmm. And just, it's, it just <laughs> kept taking uh, little turns. And I was like, uh, I was like, I think this is turning into romantic suspense. And I was like, might as well go with it. Mm -hmm. And that was how uh, Cover Me was my very mm -hmm. first uh, romantic suspense. And then later on, I started doing more and more of it. And now, probably right now, I do about three-quarter romance and a quarter romantic suspense. Mm -hmm. But 2020, I'm going to start doing about 50-50. Oh, wow. Oh. So I'm going to start that's shifting. Exciting. But I'm yeah, starting to cool. shift gears toward a lot more suspense because oh, cool. that's really where I'm... Considering the, all the plotting, I feel like there's extra heavy-duty plotting that has to go in. Mm. Yeah. Because you've got yeah. to manage the suspense plot and the romantic plot. Right. Give them, hopefully, equal time or the appropriate right. time to, if you're writing the longer arc. Yeah, and all three of us write continuation series. Right. Right, yeah. with the same character. Yeah. So you're plotting each book, each mm -hmm. book's mystery... And then you're plotting and the, their relationship on that book. And then you're also yeah. plotting the series out, too, yeah. with all the, the beats, too. Does it get to be crazy or does it all balance itself out somewhere? And I have to ask, too, are any of you pantsers? Oh, because that would stress me out even more. Yeah. No, I'm a hardcore. I'm a plotter. I'm, so. I'm not a pantser, but my outlines change a lot. Yeah. I outline very vaguely. And I write out of sequence. Mm. So a lot of times I'm writing like the epilogue before I've written chapter two. Mm. So I'm writing all over the place. And sometimes I'll be writing a big suspense plot point later in the story before I've written something earlier. And then I'll realize I'll be hung up on something in chapter six. Mm. And then I'm writing something in chapter 17 and go, that's the missing piece. And then I'll go back and fix that. So that's I write cool. all over wow. the place. But it is, it is outlined. I know what's happening. But yeah. I do end up changing it a lot. Okay. So. I think we talked about this a little bit when we did, when you and I talked last time. But I... I don't, I'm not like a pantser, but I do, and I do outline, and I try to outline the, the multi-book arc, because yeah. I do feel like that's really important, but then everything goes crazy when I start actually writing things, stuff and I, changes. I'm like, you gotta be kidding yeah. me, you did X when you were supposed to do Y, and Stephen King talks about story writing as like excavation, right, and I think there's <laughs> right. something to that where you have, in an excavation, right, you lay out all the lines, the grids that you're gonna work on, but like, you don't know what's going to be down there until you get down there. That's and like, true. I feel like that happens to me every time. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have this problem, you know, or whatever right. it is. So what do you mean know. there's another body? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's some sort of combination like that, which does make it hard. I think when yeah. you're, and like you said, things change, but you roll with it. And yeah, you go. And yeah, um, I had a, somebody that was a villain that wasn't originally the villain. Yeah. So that happens. Yeah. Right. That uh, Summers was the villain in, really? when I wrote the first draft, yeah. And I got to the end, I was like, oh, no, I like him too much. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. I'm going to wow. rewrite this whole book. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Kari Z and I, when, we, when I co-write, I don't really outline. We have a general idea of how we're starting and where it's going, but yeah. we're kind of vague about yeah. anything but the major plot points. When we wrote Suspicious Behavior, mm. it's a serial killer novel. We're, they're pursuing oh, a serial okay. killer. And I think it was a third or halfway through... I sent Kari an email in all caps saying, plot twist, it's not this guy. Oh. <laughs> and I, we were literally pointing it towards, we're going after yeah. this guy. And I went, nope, it's this guy. Yeah. And Kari went, okay, let's go with it. Yeah. But my rule with plotting with whether it's suspense or anything else is that if, if there's ever a conflict between the characters and the outline, yeah. the characters always win. That's, that's, right. that's and correct. I think that's and correct. And it has yeah, yeah, never agreed. led me wrong. And so I've frequently had to 
redo outlines as I go. I've, I have yet to write a book that matches the original outline. It always yeah. changes. And suspense for me changes 10 times more often than romances. Okay. So Is it usually the suspense plot that does shift and not the romance or sometimes it's both? The suspense plot shifts and the romance plot goes with it. Mm-hmm. Because for me, the, the romance is kind of in the lulls between the suspense where, you know, the downtime, because I don't have my characters making out while there's literally bullets flying over their heads. So mm-hmm. the, yeah. the suspense tends to be the driving force. It's the... It's the bad things happening. The characters are trying to have a romance while they're being dragged through the suspense plot. (laughs) Which I think is true of what all three of us do. When I change the suspense plot, the romance just sort of Mm -hmm. naturally falls in with it. I really don't... I don't really do much with the romance plot. It's like I do the suspense plot and then the romance happens on top of it. I kind of pants the romance plot and plot the suspense plot. That does make me think of I can't I wish I could remember who said it but like the there's the little dictum right like no surprise in the writer no surprise in the reader right, right. so if you don't have at some moment where you are like oh my gosh wait really what just happened <laughs> like it's unlikely yeah. that the reader will have that either yeah, and so right. I think there is some truth to that yeah I mean for me it, a lot of times too it shifts particularly with continuation of what's going to happen when like for mm-hmm. Fog City too I rewrote that ending three times oh my because it ended in three different places and oh, I had to yeah. figure out which one was the right one. And jumping into where the characters were, where the romance was, because likewise, I do the suspense first, and where's the romance and the the suspense plot where they both ended up in the right place, and I wasn't you know completely sure going in, and mm-hmm. so yeah. it was three different three different endings until we got it. I've done things like that too. I wrote a few years ago it was a paranormal thriller series, and it was supposed to be a standalone book, mm-hmm. and then Amy Lane beta read for me uh-huh. and said this ending doesn't work. Hmm. There's way more that needs to be resolved. And that ended up, I was like, okay, so I left it more open-ended, which turned the book into a trilogy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that book ended, and then I had to write two more books to finish it. And it was essentially, that was the one where I I discovered that I hate writing car chases. Mm. And so, because people always like, they're always like, what's the hardest thing about writing suspense? And I'm like, car chases. I hate car chases. And it got to the point that by the the last book, I stuck them on an island where there were no cars. So they had boat chases instead. But it was all because the ending didn't work of uh-huh. the original one. And when she told me that, I tweaked it. Yeah. And then the series worked much better. So, mm-hmm. And I was done with the book by then. So even after I've written it, I can change the outline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, for you, deciding that Summers wasn't the bad guy. Yeah. That must have changed the entire series at well, that well, point Yeah, for it you. wasn't going to be a series. Yeah, so oh. kind of the same thing where it was going to be this one-off of come back and reconcile with your past bully, right, who happens to be also a murderer, right, like a dirty cop. And then oh, wow. turned out that he wasn't. Like he was, he was yeah. too nice, and he actually was friendly. And, I, like, the friendlier and nicer he was, the more I was like, oh, God. dang it. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting that you say that you pants the romance elements. I guess maybe I do some of that. I think there's ways that it's hard. It And maybe this is giving them too much... Kind of <laughs> too much existence, but like there's make them a little more sentient. Than yeah, actually. yeah, but like there's ways that it's hard to really know. I think for me, how certain things are going to happen yeah. between them, because so much is dictated by the skeleton of the suspense yeah. plot, right? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. in your books too, you've got more baggage than just the suspense plot right. too, and that's right. I think that's true of all of you. That yeah, there's I always that more true. baggage, yeah. right? 
we like messing up our characters yeah. Yeah. before we even start writing them. Yes. Well, yeah. And in, yeah. in the case of these characters yeah. across the board, yeah. they're messed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in some cases, they're messed up with each other. They are. I think that's true in Irish and Whiskey. Like, they are, yeah. that relationship comes with a lot of baggage for both of them. Or yeah. certainly for, yeah. For Aiden coming yeah, right back. Certainly for Aiden, yeah. Yeah, um, after his husband. And then, yeah. and then in Trouble Brewing with Nick, having all the baggage with his family and what's going on there and mm-hmm. you know trying to keep everybody separate from that when it's just not possible mm-hmm. speaking of messing up characters in my cover me series mm-hmm. cover me was supposed to be a standalone and then trust me was just sort of a related sequel but the characters from cover me were in it and i realized that i ended cover me with a situation where they were just set up for some survivor's guilt and all mm-hmm. kinds of yeah. things and as i was writing trust me and those characters from the background i was like their relationship is a dumpster fire right now. Like, like they're on the verge of splitting up. This is, and I was like, I was like, I'm gonna have to write them another book because uh-huh. I didn't wrap up enough of their romance uh-huh. in the suspense novel, and then all the baggage came out in book two, mm-hmm. and so book three was them trying to deal with their survivor's guilt, their PTSD, and fix their relationship from three books ago. So that was not planned that way, but I had to write it. Mm-hmm. And this is a good po- jumping off point to ask this question. What do each of you think makes good romantic suspense? I want to turn the page. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's it. Like, you got to keep, I want to keep turning the page because I need to know what happens. I need to know what happens with them. Yeah. And just, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's got a hook and keep you invested in both of them. I, and I want to see a balance generally. Like, I, I want the mystery part that yeah. keeps that part of my brain engaged and I also want to see the romance part and what's lovely is you actually get a happily ever after generally speaking mm-hmm. in this genre mm-hmm. so that's for me mm-hmm. well and I think so like we were talking maybe before we started recording about I, about kind of the anticipation is better than the actual yeah. consummation yeah. of these relationships it's certainly that I feel that that's true in some ways and I think that is true for the genre like the reward centers of the brain are wired to reward uncertainty so like that's why gambling is so addictive right and so the less we know who the killer is or how the relationship is going to turn out or is it going to be this chapter this book that they finally get together like the more hardwired we are biologically to be like oh boy I gotta you know like I I really gotta figure this out and so I do think that there's something to be said for like the, the genre suspense lends itself really well to romance because of that, because they're both about anticipation, right? Like they're really more about the building to the consummation than about the consummation. Yeah. I think for me, everything they said, but also I want characters with believable motivations and reactions. Yep. I, when I can tell that they're just doing it because the author wants them to, Mm -hmm. it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. And I also want, believable investigation and believable forensics even if you have to take some some liberties that's fine but if I'm hearing this going there is no way that would ever fly and the thing is my husband is a military cop Mm -hmm. with a couple of law enforcement degrees and so we've had these conversations I'm studying criminology so it's really hard for me to just let that stuff slide you know again some liberties are fine but when it's very clearly like you're just making this up and it's completely wrong, especially if it's military, then I'm going to just toss the book aside. Right. But the other thing is I like, as you said, competent. Yeah. I don't like stupid characters yep. mm-hmm. in the same sense that like one of the reasons I don't like horror movies is it, they rely on characters being exceptionally stupid. Mm-hmm. And I'm more interested in seeing 
something that keeps intelligent, competent characters from getting things done. Like the the horror novel, the horror movie where the characters are doing everything right and they still can't get away, or the suspense novel where they're doing everything right and they still can't catch the killer. Mm-hmm. That's going to hold me a lot more than just the why are you going in the basement? Mm-hmm. Like, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, don't run into the woods at night right. by yourself. <laughs> and it's the, you know, like, really? Did you just pick up the gun at the crime scene and get your fingerprints all over uh-huh. it, you idiot? Uh-huh. You know, when it's that kind of thing, if I feel like the characters are just stupid for the sake of driving the plot, if the plot is driven by the character's stupidity, I'm out. Is it harder to do romantic suspense because there has to be the HEA at the end, so you can't... Mm have a severe plot twist. You mean like I did? <laughs> but, you, but you really didn't. She's referring to Fog City here because Fog City 1 has this massive cliffhanger where you don't know. But, I mean, you set up and you were very clear that this was a trilogy. Yeah. And even if you go back to Irish and Whiskey and Trouble Brewing, those were three book arcs. They didn't yeah. necessarily end on that hard cliffhanger yeah. like Fog City, but... They weren't together at the end of book one. Yeah. They were still working on it. And then there's Gregory story. who yeah. <laughs> tracks things out over six books. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I'm going to apologize um, again. But does that make it harder? Because like for me as a reader, I go, this has to work out. It really, really has to work out. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, like one of, one of my favorite things is when I get an email from a reader who's knee deep in one of my suspense novels saying... Can you just confirm to me that this is a romantic suspense? Yeah. <laughs> because um, if the seas catch fire is romantic suspense between two hitmen, yeah. and one of them has to take out a hit on the other, and th- there's a point where they realize there is no turning back. You have to fulfill this hit. You have to kill me. And it, there is there is a scene where he ends up with the gun up under the other guy's jaw, and I have had so many people say, "I'm on page whatever." Is this a romantic <laughs> suspense or not? Yeah. So even when they buy it as a romantic suspense, yeah. that suspension of disbelief yeah. is also that. They don't necessarily know. And I, I, one of my favorite plot devices, if anybody's read my romantic suspense, you know I do this, is at the end, towards the end, when the, the climax, somebody's going to be in a really bad situation and you don't know if they're going to make it. Yeah. Somebody's leaving in an ambulance. Somebody's leaving in a medivac. Somebody's you know, going into the ER and the other one's going, oh my God, is he going to make yeah. it? Mm-hmm. There's always something like that. And I write that, I try and write it so that the, character, the reader is actually going, Oh my God, are they going to make it? Yeah. I've had ones too where it's like, how are they going to come back from that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing ever. When, when readers email you and say, or they put in a review, I had no idea how they were going to come back from this. I'm like, yes, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think that is, can be a frustrating part of the genre, like the, the need for the happily ever after. And I'm, I'm not opposed to it. And I do think, as you've pointed out, that sometimes as long as people are willing to accept it over the arc of the books, then I think that allows for a lot more artistry in the relationship where totally. having it be a hard and fast requirement for every book, which for some readers it is. And that, I think that's just a reality of the genre, right? Like that there are readers yeah. who will not be satisfied because that's their preference. That if it's not resolved, if each relationship doesn't have a happy ever after and happily ever after ending in each book. If, if we tie that, your question about happily ever after endings into the previous question about what makes for good ro- romantic suspense, I do think that one of the things that makes for romantic suspense that I want to read is 
a sense of realism that in the relationship as well as in the mystery. And and that's hard because people are terrible to each other <laughs> and like problems are not resolved all the time that's efficiently. Right. And so I think I feel like I and, I, and I know that I do not do it perfectly, but I do find myself walking that line of, can I, can I say this problem is not resolved, right? And in the Borealis series, like they get together in one of the books, but there are still relationship issues yeah. to be worked through in the next one, right? And I think to me that feels real and authentic and I hope more meaningful, but I don't, I think the reality of the genre is that that's not what most readers want. I prefer yeah. my romances like that and I've noticed oh, that my same. readers like them too. Really? Yeah. I think you just have to set expectations. Okay. Right? Like I went into Hazard and Somerset knowing that that was going to be Slow, slow, slow. Slow, slow. And yeah. that's what I wanted. I wanted the slow burn. Okay. Right? Likewise, I went into Bad Behavior knowing right. that this was going to be a multi-arc. Right. And Fog City, I put the cliffhanger warning in the blurb. Yes, you did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. So that that was it of setting that expectation. The managing expectations. Yeah. That is a really good point. Yeah. And then I think you can, you know, the, the readers are then going to pick it up and they're going to go book to book or yeah. they're going to wait till the end. And that, again, that's their preference. And right. They can do it. But, right. you know, I think... What's lovely about romantic suspense is I think we have more leeway to do that. Yeah, we agreed. have more leeway to do continuation series. Agreed. You don't see that in contemporary. I have parts. found in my romances I tend to have, especially because I write a lot of military, which means a lot of my characters have varying degrees of PTSD. Yeah, it's always going to affect their relationships. There's always that, and so it's it's kind of they did one of those uh, memes on Twitter where they said you know you're in a author book because and I said you know you're in an LA wit novel because and one of them was you're probably if you're not in therapy now you will be <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of my characters it does mention at the end that yeah I'm gonna go see a therapist because I have to deal with this because I like I don't like to write it where we fell in love and it magically fixed my combat PTSD yeah. right and right. I have all my cops and all my first responders one, right. one of my books is a paramedic with PTSD actually I have two paramedics with PTSD I'm really bad at my paramedics and in the end, they're still going to be messed up, and that's still going to affect. Yeah. I shouldn't say messed up. They're still going to have PTSD. They're still going to have issues, depression, things like that. Yeah. It's still going to affect the relationship. And so I always leave that as it's not going to magically fix everything, but we're going to do this together. Right. And I think that's the big thing for me. And in my romance and my romantic suspense, I always put it as, yeah, there's a lot of crap we have to deal with. Mm-hmm but we're going to face it together. Mm-hmm. And I found that readers are fine with that. As long as it's, we're going to do this together, mm-hmm. they're good. Mm-hmm. And Laura, you touched on this a little bit, balancing the romance and the suspense. Mm-hmm. Have you found that readers want to tilt more one way or mm-hmm. the other, or do they just go on the ride? Because sometimes, as we've noted already, readers can be very vocal about, right. is this going to be okay? Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Like I said, my suspense tends to drive the romance. I really don't like the... You know, the bad guys are right outside, so we're going to make out against the door. Or I'm going to declare my undying love to you while we're speeding down the road. And I really need to be watching the, the road because I'm, I'm kind of a yeah. let's do the action. And then when there's that lull, yeah. we can be like, OK, what about that thing you said the yeah. other day? And that sort of thing. I kind of think of it as the suspense or the rocks and the romance is the sand filling in the top. Oh, that's and, a great analogy. And yeah. so they're 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 together. Yeah. But it's the it's the the suspense that's the base, and then fill in the romance as I go. So, I come at the question, I guess, in two ways. One of them is like when I'm kind of just kind of generating ideas about the story. Like, oftentimes, scenes in the romantic plotline will be very vivid, and I'll know. Okay, if 
I, I have to have this fight because I have to smash something with a hammer, right? Or something like that. And like, I know that to me, it becomes very gripping. Did, you, know, you, have, did you have the glass scene, the mirror? Oh gosh, no, no, no really? that was not that one, one of them. Was, that was yeah. like super vivid. Oh yeah, that yeah. no, that was one of the ones. No, but so yeah, but that would be a good example of one yeah. that like stuff like that normally is what I have structurally in place. I think in terms of like functionality, like the one of the ways that romance works so well with suspense is that in any mystery or thriller, you need those um, transition scenes in between, mm-hmm. right? The action-packed scenes and. I think a lot of times those fall flat if you don't have something else carrying the weight there. And so the romance can carry the weight there that also allows you to segue from the disaster in the scene before into the new goal and the action that drives the next scene. So it's like breathing room, but it's not filler. It's not not Mm -hmm. fluff. It's just, it gives the reader a chance to catch their breath and the character a chance to get more stressed out. It gives you a control (laughs) over pacing. Yeah, it gives you control over pacing. It gives you control over emotion, right? Over whatever the reader's emotion is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really, it's like, a, I have a hard time imagining how to write a mystery without it. Yeah. Because it's so, it's so useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, when you think about, particularly what you said, Lori, the, it's kind of like an action, like, if you think about an action movie, mm-hmm. it's just go, 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 and you're yeah. exhausted yeah. at the end, because there was never really a pause yeah. or yeah. anything, and it does allow us that chance to go slow. Mm-hmm. You know, you can can ride it a little bit more. Some downtime that doesn't actually slow down the story. Exactly. Right. There's still something yeah. happening, but you can catch your breath a little bit. And I've also noticed with sex scenes in suspense, one of the things that bothers me is the sex scenes where, yeah, we totally just had a big fist fight and we're all covered in broken glass and you've got like three bullet holes, but we're going to have sex anyway. And I'm like, yeah. no, you're not. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I've noticed I'm writing less and less sex in my suspense novels because there tends to be like a lot more intense things going on. And right. one of the things when Kari Z and I wrote Bad Behavior is there was very little sex in it. There was just a little bit of sex in the first two books. The third book has no sex in it at all. The reason for that is the whole case is that Andreas' kids have been kidnapped. Mm -hmm. There was no way we could have him having sex while his kids are kidnapped and while Darren's dealing with everything with his brother. It was like, even as a cathartic thing, there was just no way they would ever be able to do it. So we decided, we made a conscious decision at the beginning, there's going to be no sex in this book, and I think it worked much better. Sometimes readers get upset, like, there's not enough sex in this book. Mm -hmm. Do you find that when you make those choices, or do the readers get it too, that it wouldn't have been the right thing to do? I've had some where they're like, you know, I was kind of hoping it'd be hotter, but I get why it wasn't. Mm. And also, the, the thing is, they're like... The, the romance and the, the emotional tension between them is still there. Right. There's still things happening. They're right. just not going to bed together because, hello, his kids have been kidnapped right. and he's busy. Right. Plus his ankle. And he's busy. Yeah. His ankle shattered. Yeah. So, you know, right. A yeah. lot, lot going on. I have a shattered ankle and three kidnapped kids. Let's do this. Okay. <laughs> In terms of, and this drills a little more down into building the stories. When you're doing these, what is your spark of the idea? Is it... I have this cool character and I want to put them through hell this way or <laughs> this is a cool suspense plot. How can I use yeah. this thing? I kind of imagine the romance would almost really do what, what Lori was saying around that the suspense drives the romance after mm-hmm. that. So kind of mm-hmm. where's the chicken and where's the egg mm-hmm. and all that? It shifts for me, mm-hmm. right? So for Irish and Whiskey, I had that hacker plot. Mm-hmm. I knew what that was. I live in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. I got the hackers. Mm-hmm. And so, and, I, and we knew someone who worked in the level four containment facility too. Oh. So I kind of, that was all there and the characters came. 
in Trouble Brewing, I did not expect those two to be together. And then they showed up on the page together in Irish <laughs> Whiskey. I was like, okay, let's go. Yeah. Uh, and so we did that. For Fog City, I saw the picture that's on the third book cover. Oh, wow. I, I, I was, love that story. I yeah. was cruising Wander Aguiar's photography site looking for, actually, Eddie's photo, who I'm still trying to find, <laughs> to do a spinoff from Trouble Brewing. And I saw that picture. Oh, and wow. I was like, what's their story? Oh, wow. And within a week, I had it. Yeah. And went back and bought the other two covers. So it's it matched up with the POVs. But yeah, so that yeah. one... That one was romance driving it, right? Like, that picture is just so stunning. It's like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, versus, and then the other plot came in on top of it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it is always uh, the two romantic leads. Like, always. Like, it starts with them. And usually it's a slow process. Like, I'll start with, like... It's, please don't institutionalize me. <laughs> like I'll hear like a vo- like like a snip snippet of dialogue, or like I'll just re- like there's this one that I've been playing around with. It, I was doing this cross country drive with my boyfriend. Day three, I was like gonna bash my head against the window just yeah. to not have to be conscious anymore for the rest of the drive. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, I just like heard this kid who was telling someone else he thought another boy in their school was a serial killer. And like, my whole mind lit up and I was, you know, to like, and of course, like once that happens, like, I think the, the like I am getting a better sense of which ideas I want to pursue because I light up like that and I'm like, oh my gosh, that that's is, it. like that's the one I want to do. Yeah. And the ones that are like kind of interesting and then they just go on the back burner until they've cooked enough. But it's always the two leads that for me drive it. Yeah. And we get the serial killer kid book win. Oh gosh, I can't wait. The title is <laughs> The title is Tycho Prince might be a serial killer. Nice. And I cannot wait to write it. It's going to be really fun, but yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Like I feel like I, that's the problem is I get these great ideas and then I actually have to go teach high school some days. Like yeah. they expect me to show up at 5 days a week. Yeah. Slave drivers. Yeah. <laughs> we need to work on that problem. Yeah. <laughs> mine mine come from pretty much anything incel happened because i went down the incel subreddit rabbit hole mm. and times. yeah and <laughs> i started Seriously. going i started going there there is a suspense novel here and oh, the wow. research for that was hell that was awful but i that was all because of the whole incel thing and yeah. i realized i need to write about this and then the characters came later with blood and bitcoin I wanted to write a hacker who was also a mafia boss. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to do something with cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. even okay. though it meant learning about cryptocurrency, which <laughs> made me want to stab my eyeballs out. Yeah, that's but, but I learned it. I know everything about Bitcoin now. That can't get that out of my head. But anyway, but then there's other things like I, was, I wanted to write this fantasy story at one point about a vampire who was trapped in a castle, whatever. And I was being kind of snide when I wrote it. And I said, you know, he has a chip on his shoulder. And I couldn't read my handwriting. It looked like I wrote a chip in his shoulder. And my oh. brain went, oh, my God, cyberpunk. Oh, and it cool. turned into a cyberpunk thriller. <laughs> oh, cool. And that's how a chip in his shoulder happened. Yeah. And then the sequel to that, Something New Under the Sun, literally happened while I was driving through New Mexico yeah. um, about five or ten years ago. Because I was sick. I had a fever. It was like half fever dream, half I'm tired of staring at the New Mexico desert. Yeah. And I started coming up I with know. the sequel to, <laughs> yeah. but it was coming up with the sequel yeah. to a chip in his shoulder going and having little snippets of scenes. And then it ended up. Yeah. So, but other times, uh, Kari Z and I, when we were in a hotel in RT, we were like, we should totally co-write. Yeah. We should write about some cops. 
a thriller would be fun. And she goes, I like the idea of a young, newly minted detective who's like the son of the commissioner. And I was like, I want to write an older kind of like quasi possibly dirty cop who's also HIV positive. And we were like, Sold. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, we, were like, we were like, I don't know what the plot's going to be, but let's do this. Oh, wow. And Anna Zaba was sitting in the room with us just kind of laughing because we just like came up with these characters. And yeah. then the next thing we knew, we had the plot. And yeah. now five books later. Wow. Mm-hmm. So. That's awesome. You, you touched on research and Bitcoin research. You knew the level four folks. Yeah. But I know your books are heavy in research. I'm not so sure yeah. we, how much you do, though, because yeah. you're such that small town yeah. kind of Mystery. I, I based it on a real town. I, I won't say the name of, but like I often like pull up their city website or like look at their. Oh, like, Zillow thinks that I want a twelve million dollar house in uh, <laughs> yeah. San Luis Obispo somewhere. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, Cam blew that up. But yeah. that's okay. <laughs> You're not gonna buy that. One. <laughs> but I would say mostly I do research on forensics and creative ways to kill people, like what temperature a body burns at, things like you that. Need, you need to go to MurderCon. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I would enjoy it. I went this year, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, so I always have my VPN going because I feel like I don't want people <laughs> to know exactly what I've searched for. <laughs> yeah. When does the research enter? Do you write your first draft and kind of leave your, mm-hmm. your holes where you know you need the detail, or do you research ahead of time? It depends on what I'm researching. Things like, I researched incel by spending eight months on incel forums pretending to be an incel, Mm. which was the most absolute hellish toxic thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, wow. (laughs) And so then when I went to write the book, the stuff I saw on the forum would enter into to chapters where it was it was forum dialogue or things like that. But a lot of it was just internalized because I'd been around it, which is not a thing you want to have internalized. But it was things that I could basically have them put out in dialogue and yeah. mention because it was kind of becoming second nature. Yeah. Um, if it's a forensic thing, if it's something like really basic, like what they would call this machine they're using, I'll just put it in brackets, look up the machine. Mm-hmm. If it's something where I need the whole scene is gonna gonna change based on it, then I will actually research it first and make sure I'm not gonna screw it up. And I, so it's interesting because I feel like there's a pretty wide range of advice about what to do on this issue. Like mm-hmm. um, there are people that will recommend on anything, just don't stop writing, just put the brackets in and keep going. But Nora Roberts makes this great point about how she's never hired a research assistant, even with all the gobs of money she has, because. Yeah. She never knows what she's going to find. You know, like when you do the research yourself, you find these crazy cool things that your research assistant would probably be like, not relevant, not relevant, not relevant. And uh, I've had books come out of the research. Yes, exactly. An entire new book from the research. And I can't think of the name right now. Who wrote Bird by Bird? Can anybody, is it Anne? It's Anne something. This book on writing at Bird by, but she says the same thing. She tells a story about wanting, she wanted to know like, what this very particular part of a bottle was called. So she's like calling the manufacturer and like trying. Wow. And like, yeah. And like she was like, and I ended up talking to this 90 year old man on the phone and I was like, that might be a bit much for me, but like I get the point, right? This idea that you hiring a research assistant or, which I can't do, right? But yeah. like making my 14 year old students research something, yeah. <laughs> like I think is counterproductive in some ways because you, like you can only draw on what you have in that well. And yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, for me, I probably do a a high-level research. I'm starting a series uh, with a forensic genealogist as the lead character. And so I've read, you know, the FBI agent who helped catch the Golden State Killer. Mm. So I've read through her books. Yeah. I've got the basic concept. And there's going to be some brackets where, you know, my husband's a scientist. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like, 
DNA this shit for me. Um, <laughs> right? Um, or say science shit and we'll move on. And so, you know, that'll be, that's kind of in the same way with, with Irish and whiskey. It was like, I know enough of the hacker language from hearing it and just mm-hmm. being in Silicon Valley. I didn't know all the particulars necessarily. And so it was, let's bracket this mm-hmm. and here's what it needs to accomplish in the brackets and what it kind of needs to be. And then would go back through and get those details right on the next mm-hmm. pass. That's and what I do with a lot of my military stuff because I'm relatively fluent in military jargon, especially Navy, especially Navy police, because that's what my husband does. So I can do a lot of it myself, but if I can't, I just bracket it with yeah. Ask Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Ask Eddie. Yeah. It'll all be good. And the thing that I think what's so valuable about the brackets is, like, if you if you are serious about writing, you can't let the research derail you, right? Yes. Like, it's more important to get the words on the page than to spend 40 years learning the secrets of whatever yeah, the, right. your arcane topic is that you've chosen. Like, and I, I think you made a good point earlier that like everyone's going to have topics that they want to see accurately represented. But I think for a majority of the populace, you just need to get enough right yep. that you're trying to be true to it and then you need to write it. Well, and you have to know your audience yes, too. Yes, exactly. Like particularly with the hacker stuff, it was like, I can't go, I could really go into this. And right. like my husband started rambling things. I'm like, no, James Bond version. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. James Bond exactly. level. Does it pass the laugh test? Does it pass the we, we say, does it pass the James Bond test? Yeah. Right? And kind of that's, you know, you have to know what the audience is, too, as mm-hmm. to what level you're going to, mm-hmm. to go at. You Absolutely. still want to be accurate. Exactly. But it needs to not also hang up the reader in the details. I think mm-hmm. the best description I ever heard, and I can't remember who told me, but it was, it was you need to do enough research that you know, in your book needs to sound like you did the research, like you know what you're talking about, but not be research for your, your reader. Good so point. the reader yeah. needs to buy that you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is a part in Blood and Bitcoin where I do get into how the cryptocurrency market works because you need to know that to understand a major plot point. It, mm-hmm. Because yeah, absolutely. a major plot point is that a character is has found a way to manipulate the Bitcoin currency right. rate. You need to need to know how to do that. So I give just enough information to make it clear that I know what I'm talking about. The character knows what they're talking about, and you can follow. Yeah, I totally understood that part too. I'm like, Yay! Yeah. I got it. Okay, yeah. let's and moving on. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also the thing of knowing when to stop researching. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes. the yes. thing I found that the, for me was when I was researching. I wrote a, an ancient Roman historical a few years ago, and I found that I I researched until I started going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. I know that. I know that. <laughs> and once it started all yeah. looking familiar, mm-hmm. I was like. Okay, now I know enough to write, and then I can go back and research the finer points. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially if it clicks as to what's going to happen. Yeah. Like I was when I was reading through those books on the forensic geology stuff, I'm like, oh, I see this. I understand how one, two, and three is going to go. Stop. Yeah. Go. Right. Yeah. Right. Before I lost it. Right. Right. Um, or at least outline it, um, because then it, yeah. and then I can go back and fill in. Mm-hmm. You each write vastly different romantic suspense. What is it about your plots in particular that kind of keep you coming back to similar themes? Mm. And then also I'm curious, what kind of romantic suspense you like to read? Mm. I like to read the ones that, as I said, are competent and believable. If it's if somebody's got a cozy mystery that can keep me turning the pages, yeah. I'm in. If it's a hacker yeah. story that doesn't sound like somebody trying to sound like they have a mm-hmm. PhD in hacking, <laughs> great. You know, so yeah. like as long as I give crap about the characters and the plot is believable, 
and the investigation is happening competently and accurately, I can go with it. As soon as they start obviously making it up and it's like, oh, we're a CSI writer now. Okay, the book's out the window. If it sounds like a CSI script, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And as far as what I, the kind I write, it's just is whatever kernel of an idea starts and then I just go from there. And sometimes it ends up being an erotic romantic suspense. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it ends up being more thriller with a little bit of romance. It just depends on the story. Yeah, I would say, so I'm, I guess in terms of the actual murders, I'm, I'm drawn to like the golden age model of the fair mystery, right? Where the reader has access to all of the same clues as the detective, because I do just find that enjoyable and I I like it when people can say I figured it out before the end you know before hazard or when they say I didn't but I can see it all you know like at the end so I think structurally like I often go back to like collections of short mystery stories or longer pieces from that period and I just look at like how they do that because it's a hard it's hard to it's easy to have the detective solve it because he has like these untapped resources that I don't have you know like I think it's harder to make it fair play what was the second half of this question? What were we talking about? Oh, and then what you like to read. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will say that, so I know everybody has different gauges that, like, kind of activate when you pick up a new book. Prose is a really big deal breaker for me. Like, if, if I find the prose clunky, if there's too much, like, telling the same information that's been communicated in dialogue or telling the same information that's been given in description, like, those are real big, okay, I'm glad I only spent three ninety nine or whatever on this. Yeah. I'm going to move on. In terms, I mean, I think after it passes that test, then I'm really looking for character, voice, things like that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm an action movie, ju- movie junkie, mm. and that's probably pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And it's so, why you stage car chases <laughs> in San Francisco. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that tends to fuel. I mean, I, like I said, I come from TV land. That's where. That's how I got into writing was yeah. through fan fiction, and so that's my my basis. And so. I'm going, that's why mine tend to be real action heavy, mm-hmm. but with the mystery, because I like kind of having the both aspects and from like the detective aspect of it. As far as reading, I want to sit with characters for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I love continuation series. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I want to mm-hmm. read. I want to get to know those characters. I want to get to know them over a long haul. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm looking for too as a reader. And then also the prose. Like it's got to be decent edited and it's got to yeah. be. Like, and it's got to work with the story, yeah. too. Because it can be a really great story, and if the prose doesn't live up to it, it's the right. saddest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's hard because the more you write, the more aware I, the more I aware I am of my own deficiencies. Yeah. And then it's easy to spot in other people's prose the things that I wish were stronger in mine or that yep. I wish I could do, but they're doing really well. And so I think, you know, I, I took this class from Brandon Sanderson once, and he said something like, the pleasure I used to take in reading, I now take in writing. And I think that's really true for me in a lot of ways. Like, it's much rarer for me to find a book that I can actually disappear into. I think because, and I'm, I feel like this sounds really braggy, and I don't mean it to be. I just, I like, you my skin is thin. I can't shut yeah. it off. Yeah. Audiobooks. I can't either. Oh, Audio yeah. Audiobooks. Big time. Really, like, does that audiobooks help? Audiobooks, because I can't see the air. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. interesting. I was also going to go oh, on and interesting. add that, yeah. that for me, I because of some vision problems, my reading for pleasure is almost exclusively audio. Okay. And for me, what I what I pick for what I read yeah. also depends very heavily on the narrator. Yeah. If you have an excellently written thriller and all this, but your narrator can't carry it, yeah. If, yeah. They, if they don't, if they just have like a flat monotone right. the entire time they're talking and their pacing right. is yeah. kind of all over the place, <laughs> and they just can't deliver anything, 
I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. And that's yeah. why I have my narrators who I listen to. And when I found some of my own narrators yeah. who do really amazing yeah. timing for suspense, that's why Michael Variolo does all my suspense and Nick Russo does some too, is because they've got the timing and the voice down and the mm-hmm. pacing. And for me, that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. If I can't listen to the narrator, yeah. I'm not going to be able to read mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. And like you both have terrific narrators. Right. Tristan yeah. James really does like stuff. You, yeah. Charlie yeah. David's now doing yeah. stuff for yeah. you. Yeah. And it does make a difference, for sure. It does. Tristan and Charlie are awesome. Yeah, they do a great job. I mean, that was looking into Fog City. It was like, I I need someone who knows the pacing and also my sentence structure. Yeah. And how to read it. Yes. So. I actually found um, with, uh, again, with Michael, since he and I work together a lot, that after he and I talk to each other, that his narrations change. Oh, that's cool. Because he knows my cadence That's cool. And I write the way I speak. Yeah. And so now he's started narrating more closer to my cadence. And you can actually hear a difference between the books he did before we started talking and after. That's really cool. So it works really well having that that matchup. So I think even for authors that are going to do audiobooks, it is really important to have a narrator who can hold the reader and also can hold your voice. Do you find that the flip side of what you just said also happens where – as you hear what your narrator's done, like with your first book, mm-hmm. that you start considering that as you're writing either that character or as you're constructing new characters that you know they're going to have to give voice to. You asked me that last time you interviewed me, and I swore to myself I would have an answer by the time I did this again. <laughs> I still have no answer. I wish I knew. Like, I, I have thought about that so many times since you asked me because I was like, it's oh, been did, almost a year. I know. Too. I was like, did did Tristan shape how I write the rest of those? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I wish I knew. Like, I just have such a hard time. I think I. I'm gonna stop because I don't know. Give me another year. Greg still Let's, doesn't know. We'll come back to this yeah, in mid in late 2020. 2021. No, 2021. Give me one more. 2021. Yeah. yeah like. I absolutely write to the narrators. Okay. Um, if yeah. it, because I know who's gonna narrate the book before I write it. And I will write specifically, like if I know that Nick Russo is going to narrate a book, I will write based on his voice. I've even done a couple where I knew I was going to have two narrators do mm-hmm. it, and I wrote one chapter in mm-hmm. that narrator's voice and one in the other, mm-hmm. specifically to play to their strengths and their delivery. And it, yeah, so I definitely do that for audio. But I'm also, I, I have a lot of books in audio. Audio is a huge thing for me, so mm-hmm. that's a huge priority for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's. I'm thinking about the word choice sometimes and the sentence structure and how that's going to play in audio mm-hmm. more so than before. And so because I'm listening to so much more of it as well and what works. And so, yeah, to an extent. Cool. Can I, I, change, my, I, can I change my answer? <laughs> I will yeah. say hearing it did make me change my sentence structure. I didn't think yeah. about that till you said that. But yes, because I heard I was like, boy, it's real hard when you put those positive phrases, right? And, you know, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I can, like, that's a change I can make. But yeah, yeah. so I, that's a, yeah, I'm glad It's you said changed that. my dialogue a lot. Yeah. Because I've noticed that I, I, I tend to write dialogue based on how people talk. So there's a lot of ums and uhs and whatever. Yeah. And I noticed that the rhythm of my dialogue has changed yeah. based on the fact that it is going to be read as dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So looking forward into 2020, what do we have to look forward to from you guys? So for me, I'm doing a series, like the Forensic Genealogy series I talked about. It's a prickly older, he's a FBI Academy professor who does forensic genealogy, and he gets paired with a hotshot younger detective who's had the hots on him since Academy. Oh, so, Ooh, um, nice. So there's yeah. that, and that's going to be continuation. And then 
Um, there's a couple spinoffs coming for Frog City. Oh, so fun. Helena's getting a book oh. um, and Holt is getting a book. Oh. So uh, I am stoked to do those. Uh, and then Mel might be leading a little bit of a Charlie's Angels kind of vibe kind of thing going in the future. <laughs> Love so, that. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be, I'm working on a five book Hazard and Somerset arc. It's, this one is called A Union of Swords. It sounds real phallic when you say it out loud. I was like, that was not the intention. It comes from a quote, I promise. I was, so so that's going to be that's going to take me through the middle of next year and then I do have another Borealis arc that I'm going to work on and then maybe I'll write about a teenage serial killer. I mean, yeah. that's maybe my next one. So, yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I'm I'm very much shifting in 2020 towards doing about half romantic suspense, half romance. Mm. So there's going to be a lot more suspense than I've written in the past. There's going to be a lot of sequels. If the Seas Catch Fire is finally going to get its two sequels, hmm. Blood and Bitcoin is getting a sequel, uh, Hackers and Hitmen, which will probably be around mid-year. And Incel is going to get a much fluffier sequel called hmm. Traffic. Hmm. So you know that one's going to be super light and fluffy, yeah. and I can't wait to research that one. I'm, I'm actually researching it now uh-huh. going, why do I do this to myself? Oh, why? Man. Um, and Kari Z and I, as of right now that we're recording this, we're, we are... Uh, about halfway through uh, Bad Behavior Book 5. I don't know what we're going to write next, only that knowing us, because we've d- done five romantic suspense uh, in Bad Behavior and we did the two uh, Double Trouble books, it'll be some sort of suspense. So you can almost guarantee there'll be something more for me and Kari mm. Z next year. Very cool. cool. And how can everybody keep up with you online so they know when this stuff comes out? So pretty much all of mine is at Layla Rain, be it on Facebook or Twitter. So L-A-Y-L-A-R-E-Y-N-E. And then I have a Facebook group, Layla's Lushes, and that's typically where I'm at the most. So it's a great place to be too. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I I'm real bad at social media. So, but if you go to my website, www.gregoryash with an e at the end dot com, I have a mailing list. I do send out a free short story before every new release. So like you kind of get like a little fun. Usually they're happier, and like you get to see the, the boys doing something like. You trying to do into goat a yoga. false sense of security. That's right. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can, you know. So anyway, so that's probably the best way, and you get a little freebie out of it. So yeah. For me, the best way is uh, anything that's Gallagher Wit, which is G A L L A G H E R W I T T. That's my website, GallagherWit.com. My Twitter is Gallagher Wit. Um, on Facebook, I have a reading group, which is the Gallagher Wit Gaggle, and I <laughs> don't awesome. post as often as I should, but basically I post, that's where you're going to go for if you want to see new covers and what's coming up and little snippets, and also just on my regular Facebook page, but mostly Twitter and my website are the best way to keep mm. up. Fantastic. And we'll put all that stuff in the show notes page so that everybody can awesome. find it. Thanks. Thank you all so much. This Thank has you. been so incredibly fun. Mm. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah. It's been awesome. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interviews for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Greg, L.A., and Layla for joining us. I have to say that my head exploded so many times during that interview. Greg's revelation about Summers being the bad guy initially and L.A. suffering through incel forums. Oh, my God. And then Layla having to rewrite the end of Fog City three times. And, and now that I've read that book, I really want to go back and ask what those alternate endings were, because I am so, so curious. <laughs> well, we certainly covered an awful lot in this week's episode. I think that's going to do it for now. Just a quick reminder, Patreon is a 
great way for fans to engage with creators of all types and support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. We couldn't do this show every week without the help of our super fans on Patreon. The support of our community helps with production costs and ensures that the show is accessible to everyone. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our Patreon community every single month, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up in episode 218, we're going to be talking with B.A. Tortuga and Julia Talbot. This is another one of the interviews that we did at GRL, and this one is so, so special. In my view, B.A. and Julia are among the the founding members who have created the gay romance genre that we have today. And talking to them about their history and their books and their relationship with each other is truly magical. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Guys, you're not going to want to miss it. So remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.